to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good evening, listener, and welcome to the Big Red Couch. Here in dark and cold England, I'm Craig, and on the other side of the world where the weather is nicer and hopefully the royal family is less in the news than they currently are here. It's been, well, I ca- <laughs> it's hard to say. There's a, there's a lot going on at the moment. Yeah, that certain horrifying revelations are feel to be a, a global point of interest. Um, the sun is out, though. Hooray! That was that glowing thing in the sky. I remember it from the, my youth. Indeed, and it's not recently been accused of any improprieties, so, um, <laughs> hooray, the sun hasn't been cancelled. Indeed, yes. The sun has not claimed to have been in a Pizza Express in Woking, and that's all we have to say on that matter. Indeed, let's leave that one alone. Indeed. Future generations to, to mull over what the hell these two idiots were talking about. There are any such thing as future generations. <laughs> Tra-la-la. Indeed. Well, we've definitely set the right tone. Excellent. So, our episode for this week, or our episode prompt for this week, comes to us from the fertile brain of Taz and reads Irritable Geography. We've already done the Irritable Geographer's joke, so... I assumed we had, but I couldn't remember, so I'll take your word for it. It, it, It's a perennial. I'm sure it'll come around again. I feel like there should be an Irritable Botanist joke in there, but I'm not quite seeing it. Irritable Botanist Syndrome? Hmm. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Getting get, get to the real fundament of the, uh, yeah, of the gag. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you knew Alrighty. what you signed up for, listener. <sighs> Indeed. So, notions for irritable geography. Actually, I've got a bit of a poorly um, formed thesis that I, would, I could expound upon, which sort of informs my idea, but might give us uh, somewhere to go from. Excellent. I love poorly formed theses. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore your your ambivalent pronunciation of the word. <laughs> I, to be fair, that is what my co-workers do on a daily basis with my pronunciation of almost every British place name ever because they make no sense and Flitwick looks like Flitwick. I'm sorry I said it. It's just a thing. Please go on. We're looking at you, Leicester, Chichester, oh. anything with it. <laughs> Anything that ends in stir. <laughs> At least the Welsh have an excuse. It's a different language. Indeed, it's supposed to be pronounced differently. Yes. Right, so, irritable geography. Actually, not just the irritable ge- the irritable geographer thing, but it did make me think of yourself after a fashion. So, okay. character assassination uh, <laughs> mode engagement. <laughs> Woo! One, no, one of the things that I know that you've expressed as being a low point in some games, is when characters have to travel and it not being a particularly engaging part of the experience. Yep. It's often referred to as downtime. It's often been, you know, it's like, oh, the the characters are at point A, the adventurer is at point B. Your options include, oh, boop, we teleport... We, we pick up the adventure at point B, cross off some rations, and advance the date in a number of days. Sometimes the um, you will identify high points along the way and sort of say, and say, well, what happens when we get to this place? Or I want to stop here to do this. Something like that. That can happen. Sometimes it's a nerve-wracking, okay, we get to this place. Did we get attacked by bandits during the uh, the trek? Or something like that. So there are a couple of different approaches. I I get the impression you favour just getting what is it? Uh, stop nannying around, uh, and just get to the next bit of story. <laughs> I I tend to, yeah. Unless personal view and and the way I try and sometimes succeed to run my games is I don't really care about random bandit attacks mm. unless like, there is some well. Yeah, ra- yeah. If there was some point to them, there wouldn't be a random bandit attack. I would make a an, an exception for things that are sort of like survival type games, where mm. yeah, hypothetically you have just gotten away from the 
draconians attacking some sort of tundra village and you're on your ice boat and you've got shit all in the way of rations and you have no idea where you're going so you're basically navigating through okay well let's go two hexes further um further forward this day kind of territory yep hypothetically i would make a distinction between exploration and travel for that solid yes yeah, and when, you, when you're attempting to navigate around, and I've seen various approaches for that sort of thing. I believe it was Gamma World where you you not only got a, a gigantic map in the box, and you but you also it would have like hot pink radiation death zones and so forth. And cool. the one thing that they would they actually had they worked in the travel survival mechanic to be exactly the same as the physical well at the same. It's not use the same mechanical resolution thing as being punched in the face effectively. And huh. the different sorts of terrain had, I think the, the it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I think the, the radiation squares had like a mutation hazard attack or disease hazard attack in a swamp or a getting lost, which was I thought was a hilarious attack form <laughs> for a wasteland or a forest or something like that. So, uh. Okay, you, you clearly, I don't know if the planes were like, just getting bored <laughs> or anything like that but I thought I thought you have poor sense of direction attack is a kind of is an interesting mode it's the fog shrouded wasteland punches you in the junk for three points of getting lost damage yeah pretty much pretty much and it's like I'm, I don't think we ever used to resolve that because often you know especially back in the day it was okay we're going to get to the, the we're going to get to the next place where we can kill something and take its loot as was traditional but mm. One thing I, I did recently, and part of what made the distinction between travel and exploration is that if you, say, are in a town, you know where the town is, I go to the bakery, you don't explore to the bakery. Your character is already aware of where the bakery is. There's nothing obstructing them or getting in their way unless, you know, there's something happens to be there. There's no mystery about your journey to the bakery. You go to the bakery. <laughs> if... And, you know, scale down even further, if you're like, I'm trying to cross this room in the middle of combat, there's not a lot of mystery less there's something that interacts with you there. And the mechanics are pretty straightforward. One of the thing, and so if you are, say, going from town A to town B, there's no particular things in your way. There may be some something you sacrifice, like if your campaign is very time sensitive, maybe there is going there is going to cost you some time. If it isn't, that's not not so much. You may cross off some money for supplies or, you know, staying at inns, whatever. But the other aspect to exploration is also less evolving information about the directly the path you're taking, but more about the setting and possibly about the characters as well. I, back in my DQ days, I would we'd often enjoy the interplay of characters trying to figure out how they wanted to travel often when you were low-level adventurers you would you might hire some horses and discover how bad characters in the party were currently at riding horses and there would be hijinks and so forth involved with that or at least a lot of running after the horse that ran away exactly exactly and as as your as your characters got more obscenely magical they might like okay so what speed does everyone naturally fly at (laughs) as various glowing demigods hover or flutter or, you know, just sit in roaring pillars of fire. So there was there was a different sort of thing. There was a different sort of feel to it. And often when you go up to those more um, storied levels of curses, mutations, equipment and so forth, you know, it, would, it, would, it was quite possible to skip big chunks of that journey. But still, you'd have you'd have conversations about what you did. You would get to like explore what your characters' approaches to things were, and sometimes yeah, their wacky their wacky abilities. And often you would get to play out things about how you know the world would react to these strange people. So that, I always found that interesting. It was often quite an, quite an enjoyable part of it, uh, and that was relatively spontaneous. Like like you say, that the idea of having random encounters i mean quite aside from the idea that you suddenly might discover like an unfeasible number of rust monsters in a valley or something like that and it's like okay this makes no sense i guess you you might have a interesting sort of plot element as the gm tries to figure out where the fuck do all these rust monsters come from actually i think they're they're underground creatures rather than surface dwellers or whatever but it just raises even more questions it just it does it does it's baffling so there is the the stories generated sometimes by random things, but I, 
I feel they're not dependable enough, and you could, you know, if you had a planned out game with random aspects, it's like, all right, I'm rolling some dice. It's like, there's a lot of dragons on this road. Were we going to see a dragon? Yeah, but I, I wonder if they know this guy. <laughs> it's like, mm. all right, okay, we're doing something. There's something has. Um, it could skew the the experience there. The thing that I f- I found myself doing though with a couple of relatively new players was basically keeping track of how invested the players were and narrating their journey from the outskirts of the of a relatively civilized kingdom into this wasteland and basically say okay by the end of the first day the horrible the horrible interdimensional thingamy in the distance which you've been asked to investigate is now clearly visible the the signs of the impact it made are starting to make, make themselves feel and make the 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 journey an exploration of the setting and of how the the tone of the game rather than ah oh, do we go left or right okay that was the that was the kind of the thing i mean it is it is sensitive to how interested the 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 folks listening to you are how you are and how you want to portray what's happening and it's especially it, it's good to allow especially if characters are sort of deeply embedded in the world or the kind of skills monsters that have things like survival and camping outdoors or you know other skills are shut in like myself merely fantasize about uh, the idea of getting them to you getting them to apply those and see what they're good at random bandits even they can be part of the story sometimes they're a bit they're a bit cliched but you know, I often considered like I think I think I've used this once having characters go. This would be a good spot for an ambush because we are, we are trained adventurers and we we've been through these things before. I was like, oh, you spot something, they go and check it. They go and check it out. They're in full defensive mode. And yeah, there was a science that there was a guy, you know, hunkered down here a few minutes ago. He's fucking gone. Mm. All of his mates have left. The people coming down the road were obviously scary, scary, crazy people, and they have just f- fled. If they're the kind of people who think that um, people skulking in bushes must immediately be set upon and murdered, maybe that's what they do. Or maybe they just learnt that, oh, normal folk don't feel we're on their level. And you can have little things like, you know, rather than coming across the, the, the site of a, a, like a wrecked wagon and having to do something and help somebody, you come across... Oh, a wagon was wrecked here quite a while ago. Mm. Something happened here. It is not still something happening. Yeah, yeah. Something happened. Something to set the tone of how dangerous this setting is. How how people uh, in the, the sort of civilization help one another. How, in the setting, like say, if there is a you know a car by the side of the road, it's seemingly abandoned in a horror game is a different thing from a post-apocalypse game. Or maybe they're the same thing. It doesn't. It doesn't. Sometimes it it, it, it it makes a difference. So that's my little spiel about how travel and exploration may cross over in exploring the setting and characters, and may make this more a little more interesting mm. than just going boop. We're at town B, ready to do the next thing. It's so you know it, it, your mileage may vary. Some people will find that they want to jump to the uh, the next fast travel point and start doing the next part of the plot. If it's a really political game, maybe wandering around in the countryside is not what's called for. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I was coming from there. Please, kibitz, or shout me down if you think I've gotten, gotten way off track there. I mean, way off track is kind of what we do. Indeed, and it's very appropriate for this particular conversation. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. I, I I know that me being me, I have railed against. We spend an entire session or multiple sessions going from point A to point B, arguing about watch rotors, setting up camp, and that kind of thing. I, I am practically certain I have I have made that whiny ass complaint, uh, and we'll probably do so again in the future. Yes, in High Gygaxian canon, it is impossible to have a meaningful campaign without uh, without accurate time records. Also, Dragon Quest, as it was the amount of time you took on the adventure was taken out of your training time so a it meant that that people wanted to be very and, and also it was a it was a highly logistical game oh, people yeah. wanted to be sure how much you how much you spent how many resources you expended across that it wasn't generally down to like the the 
how many arrow shafts and arrow heads you had or how many days of food. But generally it was like, mm, how long did it take us to get this place and, and, and what did we do? So you can become fatigued by that sort of thing or it can definitely seem unnecessary. Indeed. Sorry, I kind of lumbered into that, into the middle of the thought there. Uh, it, wasn't much, it wasn't much of a thought. And I suspect a certain amount of it may have come from doing at least chunks of the Dragonlance campaigns back in yeah. the day. Because uh, I do remember a lot of hex maps mm. and, and trudgery and this kind of thing. I mean, I also, to be fair on the person running it, do remember at one point doing the okay so it's 60 days later and you are in blah um, <laughs> apparently like, nothing of note happened in the last two months wow this is some adventure <laughs> yeah I was like yeah my god this is an office job uh, <clears throat> yeah that that's that's probably the extreme I mean if you oh, yeah and you know there are other sort of settings like if you uh there are other sort of setting constraints like space travel mm. It's not quite the same thing. It's effectively being trapped in a box, you know, regardless of what's going on outside. Your options are limited. So, yeah, it's good. It's, it makes perfect sense to call that downtime. And sometimes, you know, maybe it makes sense to advance the, advance the clock and say, all right, we need to get somewhere. There's nothing particularly going on. Maybe break it up at a midpoint or something that something happens. But the more functional extremes of boop you're there and all right the next night you camp by a stream who is taking the first watch yeah so there's there's a there's a middle ground and i think this is this is something i brought up before is when when you have these sort of slightly tired tropes maybe it's a time to look to as the gm who who plays all of the other characters ex- expressing more of the character of the setting and for the players to express how they interact with the other characters, including the players, it's a, probably an opportunity to take. There is also potentially the... It would, this one very much depends on the, the players in question, but I have, I have played in games and I suspect I have run games where the thought behind the GM was... I do not want to introduce any more NPCs for these guys to adopt. That's a slightly... Yes, I guess that is... The GM is trying to keep the nannying around quotient to a minimum, and these these players have proven themselves unreliable in that aspect. Fantastic (laughs) at, as it were, nannying. Yes. Oh, literally nannying. Yeah, it's like, Hmm. okay... There's a famous orphanage in this next town. Or oh, we skip we skip to um, two towns down the road where you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a adjunct issue. But yeah, oh, yeah. I can see how that if you if you're aware that oh um, yes these these players will compulsively attempt to identify every plant species in a forest. Guess we're going around the forest. <laughs> and thinking about sort of the. I'm not sure if it's 100% the flip side version of it, but it's a little bit the flip side version of it. Dear old Black Book Traveller. Mm-hmm. It's just thinking about the whole... I was sort of thinking about travel time and just remembering, that's right, in that game, it didn't matter whether you were jumping one, one hex or six hexes for your space jump, it took exactly the same amount of time. Hmm. And... Just thinking about it, that is a game that effectively has made every trip the exact same length. Because mm. most of the interesting stuff that occurred happened on Planetfall, not in travel. So you just basically do the, okay, you jump, and a week later you're at blah. So it is the, the subway map universe. Pretty much, the, yeah. The, the physics means you just, oh, everything is the same distance from everything else as far as time time taken indeed the only you know the only things that increase the distance are if it takes multiple jumps then mm. then mm. you've got more of an issue but yeah everything local is the exact same distance away yeah yeah fundamentally yeah, elite has the same thing though it is the jump process is like 20 seconds rather than a week but if you end up doing if you you're, if you have a shorter range jump drive, you end up going boop 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 boop. When something something more powerful could 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 
basically leapfrog an, an interim point and do, do some, something quite extravagant in two hops. Nice. So, yeah. Yes, it's definitely worth, worthy of a con, of consideration there. That abstracts travel in a different way. Makes It's more of a logistical challenge again, I think, and you know, just keeping track of time and how long it takes you to get anywhere. But yeah, mm. interesting. Cool. Right. So we can continue on to the, our, the notions around the irritable geography. Okay, yes, let us do that. All right, well, I will, will also have to, to outline the basis of my thesis. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I went a bit more literal on it and went with mm-hmm. irritable geography, meaning active, involved, and annoyed spirits of the land. Mm-hmm. And the immediate problem that I ran into with this one was, okay, I can imagine a setting where you've got very active actively involved spirits of the the trees and the land and this particular grove and the mountain or whatever but in terms of trying to make an interesting game of that i mean you could you could write a very interesting story about it hmm. but actually making something interactive which is not just a well effectively a hex crawl where instead of rolling for bandits you're rolling for annoyed nature spirit roll for dryads yeah. roll for dryad also runs the risk of becoming some sort of pro-colonialist nightmare. Yeah. Which is not ideal. And it would be interesting to see a a game from a tradition. I'm sure they exist, and it's probably if we just have to sort of poke the, the, the appropriate corners of the internet, where the, the spirits are part of the culture and part of the landscape. It's very much the, the way that the Maori of New Zealand see their involvement with the land and so forth, which uh, hmm. hasn't entirely been res- respected to date. <laughs> not, 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 not as much as it could have been, no. Not as much as it could have been, for sure. But then again, when you put it irritable in front of it, it kind of provokes that, ah, uh, it's something has gone ba- or something has gone wrong. And, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's, there's an acknowledgement that sometimes things are fractious, but... Building a game around those two concepts seems probably needs um, nuance applied to it. So, so what did you what did you maneuver towards? Uh, what I came up with was yeah, ma- ma- making a game where the the spirits of the land are things you interact with. Either turns into, as far as I can see, an amount of yeah, we do the appropriate rituals, we say the right words, and we pass through. So it's basically just background setting, and nobody really cares. Or it becomes the focus of the game, and I'm not sure how to make mm. that interesting. Because if you then had the circumstance of uh, of you know, a problem that needs to be solved, and every time you solve a problem, you go and find a nature spirit to do it, it's effectively watch the GMPC solve everything. Uh, so I think the way to kind of fix it is to flip the thing and make the players these spirits of the land. Hmm. Um, I did have an option as to how to do the uh, the spirit of the land thing, but I, I will with with the players not being that that spirit. But I will I will come back to that one. If you go with that option, that the the irritable geography is the player characters, you could probably do worse than starting with something like part time gods. Because hmm. then, I mean, setting setting to a certain extent is almost irrelevant. You kind of pick pick your setting and run with it. But either having the players as sort of the latest incarnations of the gods of this particular area, and there's something happening, so mm-hmm. they're, they're powerful, but they're not all powerful, and they can do a lot to stop the bandit invasion, encroaching army, alien invasion, basically to pick your setting, pick your, your problem kind of thing. Um, they're not completely invulnerable and completely invincible. They're going to have to be a little bit clever about it. Hmm. So you could either do the sort of spirits deal with immediate threat to community, or, it, depending on the sort of game you wanted to do, you could have some fun with doing something over a very, very long time span. Um, not a hundred on what the appropriate setting, sorry, system would be for that one. But if you effectively have ageless spirits of land who kind of 
you know, take, take a somewhat pastoral view of the humans that are moving through hmm. and the population. So possibly they're working in, in subtle ways to sort of guide and influence things. Possibly it's completely blinked. It would kind of depend on their approaches. Hmm. So those those were kind of the two approaches that I came up with for doing the uh, the spirit uh, spirit of the land thing. Uh, the one I came up with that that might work the other way round would be to turn it into a kids on bikes game. Okay. Because that does have the whole uh, the the whole concept of the the powered individual who is kind of a NPC controlled by the players. Hmm. As as part of the setting, so in that case, you could have. I mean, the obvious one would be some kind of spirit of the town. Okay. Again, you. This is sort of one where you need you'd need to come up with probably an external threat. I'm not sure how you get an extended sort of endless campaign out of it, but you could get a hell of a good short um, short sharp game out of the idea. I would think. Hmm. So, a Stranger Things or even E.T. kind of thing that this yeah. outsider outsider thing is the maybe ailing spirit of the community that they that the uh, the young people need to help do a certain thing. Yeah, yeah indeed, I can see that definitely. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what system even how to look for a system that could do the extremely long lived supernatural entities kind of guiding. An area like it, it feels a bit the quiet year, but also mm. not. I'm not, it, yeah, yeah, not sure where yeah, you go does. with that one. The one, the one I thought of when you, know, you initially started, it's not quite entirely appropriate. Was is the lap where you place stones? I don't recall its name. I think it has stones in the the title, but yeah. it's almost like an acting exercise. Or a very meditative lap, from what you've uh, described. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely sounds like a. Uh, it's a very, yeah, very distinct sort of mental, emotional exercise. Um, I guess the only riposte I've got to that is if that if you are playing a group of inhabitants of the ge- geography interacting with the the spirits of the geography and you know, any sort of animist kind of thinking this comes across you know you get the sort of you the sort of thing in japanese traditions and so forth as well but the idea that you you simply make them npcs that you treat them like powerful figures within this world because they obviously are and you've got slightly you'll have different appropriate ways of interacting interacting with them so it would become more of a political more of a Oh. Maybe sort of Princess Mononoke esque kind of thing, where you are dealing with these these figures as though as though say they are respected and powerful lords of the earth kind of thing. But it would be more of a rather than maybe because they're tied to their various um, domains, they don't get to talk directly, and they need folks the more temporally bound short-lived folks because i think it would be healthy to respect that you know all folks are equal except you know i'm a mountain i've got to do mountain things and you're a wee folk and you've got to do wee folk things Mm. i see where you're going okay so you might have to be a go-between and you know you could have like a a, a spirit of a mountain being on the war path or maybe they're asking you to send notes of of admiration and love to the the distant mountain that they can see on a on a clear day across you know hills and plains it's like okay that's a thing hmm interesting okay and there is there is less opportunity to I mean, when you're dealing with sort of like npcs speaking with protagonists and dealing with with and dealing with desires of these npcs it's not really the in-game thing to be like, okay, we, we kill them and take their stuff because that would cause repercussions within society. It's the same sort of thing as the idea that, you know, you could do harm or damage the, certainly the honour or something to, you could you could offend these spirits. But what you're doing is, work, is, is working within this world of distant, constrained powers. Maybe a mountain spirit, you know, if he's pissed off with you, you might summon up a storm, which, you know, you know, it's genuinely dangerous, you know, hypothermia is a real thing. 
but they're not they will just go splat and smite you you know a flash flood that sort of thing is long and, and it's all driven through a natural chain of events is a real threat but not the kind of thing that you just basically go it's it's it gets away from that cthulhu has 1100 hit points kind of thing mm. yeah there is absolutely nothing that you can do to harm the mountain well yeah. you, you you i mean the idea might be that at a certain point if you wanted to spend time on the mountain the mountain could screw you up you could maybe do something that that diminishes it some way maybe it, it maybe it's like literally a based on a, a perception of honor or a perception of strength or take some treasure from them, which hurts them in a what a, a a person would think of as like an emotional way or some citation sentiment of sentimental value but mm. because of what they are this affects greatly what they're able to do and also you might be able to run away to the to to the nearby plane and the mountain is not going to be able to chase you no. but if you stole uh, the the particular you know a, a particular statue like rock formation or a, a certain thing that was gifted to them and you fled and managed to 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 escape other mountains might look upon you um, with uh, suspicion for a yeah. start. <laughs> yeah, it might just call in its mates to try to get it back. Yeah, and may- maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the, the, the players are folks that, that deal with these sorts of things and they discover that someone has uh, wronged the mountain and it can't run after them, obviously. Well, hopefully. <laughs> or if, maybe it could, but if it did, it would cause a whole big, even bigger problem. So, rather than, you know, sometimes, you know, that the, um, your people have relied on the mountain to bring rains and, and the appropriate sort of weather at the appropriate sort of time, and this is, this is, uh, recompense, this is your, your paying the favour back, of tracking mm. down somebody on two legs, because that's what you guys can do. Yeah. It sounds like a game that would be a good sort of presentation of cultural values for, mm a culture based on that sort of thing. It'd be, it might be an interesting story. It probably might just be plucked directly out of sort of the, the stories of Maui or something like that. That's, I think that's my vague recollection of where that's coming from. So, Yeah, you, you, you could pinch stuff from there, pinch stuff from Princess Mononoke, probably Massacre like Valley of the Winds. Yeah, either you, you take the concepts and you elevate it up to being this is a, this is a, a vague homage to a lot of different cultures, or you have somebody with a good cultural background, a specific thing to tell those mm. sorts of tales and, and, and get them to a, diff- uh, a, a gaming audience. So yeah, so there's also some options there. Hmm. It does cool. put me in mind of just from, just from a whole sort of interacting with, with forces vastly more powerful, but also somewhat more limited than yourself. Mm. A series of books that I bring up, Annoyingly frequently, but um, the 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 book in question is *The Gates of Noon*, I think, by Michael Scott Rohan, which does have a lot of interacting with effectively folkloric figures, hmm. and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes not so well, and sometimes they can be bluffed, and sometimes they can't. Right. <laughs> um, Hmm. But equally, they're not—they're not always in a in a position to directly act against you. You're often not in a position to act directly against them. But indirect is still a thing. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. No, those are all interesting concepts. I think. Yeah. Hmm. If I was going to pick one for the sort of the part-time gods approach, it would be entertaining to either do some kind of part-time gods of what is now a small town or the center of a city possibly desperately trying to hold things together in the face of that now you can have fun with an post-apocalyptic situation mm. you could just go for robocop, robocop style urban decay with a, a weird supernatural twist to it mm-hmm. that's probably where i'd i'd go with it just because i actually quite like the image of these uh you know, sort of the current for want of a better word, uh, holders of the various pantheons just meeting in some shitty sort of 
Nighthawks at the diner style corner diner uh, hmm. while yeah, sort of planning out their strategy while the, the, the world is falling apart outside. Yeah. Maybe really take the street shaman idea out of Shadowrun and make it the centre of the thing. Hmm. Rather than, you know, the elementals just being basically um, anti tank weapons that are made out of a out of a particular element. Oh yeah. Slow to deploy but bloody lethal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the impression I always got. There's <laughs> like what shamans do. That's a couple of magic spells. Oh yeah, and they tear buildings down. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So yes. So back to you. Kind of taking a wild divergence or maybe a an excursion away from the idea that I the little ramble I had. It's a lot of words that mean travelling somewhere and and a thing that get used in other parts of language I've just noticed. How curious. Anywho, having recently seen like the opening two hours of the latest Hideo Kojima joint, let's say, Death Stranding, which is you know how a couple of years ago people were complaining about people making video games that were walking simulators? Yes. No one says fuck you gamers like Hideo Kojima. <laughs> Where would we know Hideo Kojima for from? He he asks purely for the benefit of the audience. I of course Indeed. am perfectly familiar with the career of Hideo Kojima, provided there are absolutely no follow up questions. <laughs> he did uh, the Metal Gear series. And um... was to work with Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus on uh, follow-up to Silent, the Silent Hill series. Hmm. Um, and th- there was briefly a uh, well, a playable teaser called, called uh, PT, literally, where you travel in basically what turns, what turns out to be a circular kind of hallway, which each time you travel through it gets more and more weird and strange. Uh, Konami, uh, who are dreadful and mostly make gambling machines now, after balderizing Metal Gear Solid Five, and confession time, I have never played. A, I think I played um, a, like a teaser disc for one of the Metal, uh, for one of the um, the Metal Gear series on like the PlayStation One. I think it might have been might have been your copy even. Because um, I, I also remember playing. There, there was like sort of a couple of chunks of yeah. There was enough of the game to give you an idea of what the game was like. Well, it gave you an idea of what the mechanics were like. That's These fair. games are absurd. Within the stories, there are a absurd melange of espionage, political history, conspiracy theory, and like whatever like decongestion <laughs> Hideo Kojima has been chugging lately. It is they <laughs> Benadryl. <clears throat> he's a uh, he's an interesting fellow, and. After the after a messy divorce with her, the, the the publisher, um, he started his own his own outfit and released a baffling game in which Norman Reedus carries parcels across a uh, an American wasteland dotted with little bunkers and safe zones, which are bro- hemmed in and broken up by invisible ghosts that lurch out of pools of black oil and can only be fended off by hurling your piss or blood at them. The biggest game mechanic is keeping your pack straight and making sure that you don't drop the stuff you're carrying. What? That is as coherent as I can make it. But the idea that the the, the game is all about exploration on foot. And I and I've I have liked me some um some hiking simulators like well, Skyrim, which I fundamentally feel is, you know, let's Valdere Valdera with a knapsack on my back, the game, because I've never finished it. I've played it for hours. I've never got around to finishing the darn thing. I got distracted building a house. <laughs> for, for the record, people, he's talking in the game, not in reality. Oh, God, no. Well, that's the thing. It's like... <laughs> Having a steady job and owning a house is, is, is what we consider to be fantasies these days. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes, as they say, the Sims, yeah, games let you live out your wildest fantasies, like housing. Hmm. It is, it, it is real. It is very real. Anywho, that and watching um, the Nick Cage Color Out of Space HP Lovecraft adaption on the same day, it's a pretty good weekend. Yeah, that was fun. Okay. So, anywho, 
the notion that I that I, I came up with is is sort of based on this. There are the 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 idea of of couriers and. Often, when I was was young and going to like secondary school, I would have to you know, walk five kilometres of a day, and I didn't think much of it apart from you know making sure that you take a leak before you leave, kind of thing. That was the 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 biggest risk. I'd always assumed that's what hedges were for. Yeah, I was a shy a shy child, and doing this sort of courier job through some sort of wasteland actually was kind of something that I could. I could for I could foresee because in the eighties, for some reason, New Zealand children's news shows, and we had like targeted sort of young adult news shows, that which is great. But sadly, the, my entire memory was of those was the their insistence that we were going to be the grow up unemployed and uh, subject to a nuclear apocalypse. I, I I got the nuclear apocalypse bit a lot, not so much the unemployed bit, but I, I did oh, live in a different city to you. Uh, this was a national thing. Okay. And but they were always talking about unemployment in the eighties. It was it was very oh. much a big thing. And I was just, just also trying to reconcile the fact that you you'd be um, unemployed and vaporized at the same time. Tricky. It seems like one problem sort of solves the other. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, not in a good way, but definitely it definitely solves the problem. Yeah. Anywho, um, the idea is that you you work for a secure consignment transport company. The the goods you're transporting are extremely vulnerable to either being stolen or taken and used to break into information systems. Maybe you're, you're transporting like one-time pads for encryption or something like that. Something that absolutely needs to be kept out of the hands of so, certain adversaries. The way that your um, your, your organisation does this is that it sends couriers to very slightly adjacent alternate realities of the course of their routes. And the idea is to tack as far out of the local reality as possible and tack back in on the, 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 the second half of the journey and basically make it from your starting location to your finishing location without actually passing through worlds where your the inf- the information or goods that you're carrying are of any use basically mm-hmm. or if, if, if they if, if you if you're um if you were intercepted the fact that you know you have an encryption key for a di- for a different distant universe isn't good to them okay so it's a little bit, little bit wiggy, you might say, um, but the uh, the notion would be that to make it interesting is for, and and give people in a party something useful to do. The idea would be that it there is effectively a set, there are sets of keys that direct your um, your next your next step into a, an alternate reality, and each person has one, and the idea would be that like. Enclosing parentheses and say an in, in expression and coding, someone has to make the first sort of step to the left, and then the next person does the next recursed set of set of brackets and next. Conveniently, there are decision points that represent these transitions. So, like maybe taking a fork in the road. Remember the the, the grand old illusionism argument in, in RPGs. If you know. You, you take the fork in the road to town A, there's the, the adventurer is there in town A. You take the fork in the road to town B, the adventurer is there in town Bay. <laughs> <laughs> right. That one I've never actually seen broken down completely authentically because some people rail is like, oh, but we've got free will, we should be able to do what we want. It's like, yeah, but you want to have fun, don't you? <laughs> yeah, some players, not so much, but anyway. Okay, there are some players who you, you, you would swear that their um, their objective is to ruin everyone's day. <laughs> so, that's fair. Anywho, so, this is again one of my wacky notions, but the I- the idea that your journey, maybe I've just been using too much sequel lately, your, um, your journey involves, okay, the first person takes the first ste- step on the path, and you move as a unit through these increasingly weird kind of alternate realities and it's like may each time that you make a choice and this this fork in the road you say okay this is what's this is the fundamental thing that's changed and you're not and the system that that drives this is only letting you with like a fraction of a standard deviation of difference i mean it's big but it's not the earth is not there or the earth is 10 times as dense and you're going to explode when you arrive but there's enough there's enough certainly to keep it interesting. Okay, so a, a couple of questions for clarification. 
Sure, yeah, that's 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 justified. <laughs> so we've got in this case a party of of people, each with their own key, mm-hmm. working in concert to kind of move through move through alternate realities in a way that isn't so much isn't so much I use my key to open a magical portal in the air and more a case of well we're just kind of going for a walk but every time we turn a corner we're in a different place kind of yeah in a different world a different version of the place we were in a moment ago okay the tricky part is that there may I mean there may be there may be I mean, maybe the the ideal level of concealment. Maybe there are folks who are out to get you, and and, and they know enough about this technology to to try and break in. Maybe and maybe the perfect level of um, evasion is to basically have, if you have like four or five, say five people in your party, you go left, 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 left. Then the, the, the that last left goes right, and you and you replay the sequence backwards. But maybe sometimes you've gone left, left. Oh, this place is a crap hole. Right, left again, <laughs> depending on them. Or okay, people have they, they've figured out what our what our our projected path is. Maybe even making the decision, making the decision in the order that you make it, and is part of the non-deterministic way of evading your uh, your foes. And the even the idea that these maybe are they're not literal real realities, but they're kind of instances. So you're not you're not actually breaking someone else's timeline, but you are. There is a, there is a, a a pocket universe popped open with a slightly different set of rules for which you can for which you once you get to the other side of you can then make your journey onward. And because of that, I suspect that would not be the the idea would not be to have the GM come up with five factorial possible alternate reality paths. Oh God no. No, no, because logistically, does that does not seem feasible. But actually, they have sort of like a, a, a collaborative thing of generating. Okay, what what's what's different about this world? What what have we changed? And have that being part of the story and embed in that maybe a bit of a bit more um, depth about the rather than the characters, you know, having like calf strength and balance and so forth as their stats. They're having the other things that they they need to cope with as they go through these different sort of layers of reality. The things that it brings to mind, just sort of initially, are um, a game that I never got to play but always wanted to. Uh, I think it was called A Quantum Conundrum, hmm. which had, and I may be grotesquely mangling it, uh, it had a very cartoony sort of aesthetic, but you basically had, you had a very strange mansion, there's something of a mystery going on, and you've got the capacity to basically shift objects between dimensions with different properties. So there, there was, I think, the, mm. the fuzzy dimension where things look very fuzzy and cute, but also weigh almost nothing. There was a, a high-gravity dimension. There were a few others. All right, this is a, pu- a, puzzly, a puzzler video game. Yeah, it was, it was a puzzler. Yeah, yeah. From recollection, I think the developers found by accident that they'd managed to create a rather interesting thing where you could, you could pick up... Yeah, you could basically put an object into the fuzzy dimension, pick it up and throw it, and then jump on that object, and because it weighs almost nothing, it doesn't fall even as it passes over a huge gap that you would fall into if you weren't standing on the object. Mm. This kind of thing. And, yeah, and you, you would, say, do something and then switch directly to another dimension and, and those rules start to apply at that point. And yeah, so I, I think it came out not too long after, like, Portal 2 and had a similar sort of vibe that's That's my dim recollection, though it was yeah, yeah, yeah. it was much cuter okay. and cartoonier. And I remember something about a rabbit. Right, yes, yes. Um, that crossed with, say, Dead Weight or something like that. Dead Weights? Uh, the Apocalypse World thing about tramping through a zombie-filled city and making... Oh, sh- yeah. 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 So yeah, this, that comes to mind. Also, what came to mind was the horror game from the 90s uh, RPG this time, Dark Conspiracy, mm. which did have... It was the era of source books. It did have an entire source book of dimension travelling or dimension walking with lots and lots of different dimensions that you could go to. And some of these were just effectively convenient travel hack dimension. Mm. Where the distances were all... 
uh, compressed and things yeah, like that. Dis- yeah, distances are compressed, but there are other ones as well, and yeah, some of them with their own sort of histories and weird side effects and that kind of thing. I mean, there was one that was a very low friction environment, hmm. which is kind of entertaining. Stuff taken from there would gradually lose its almost frictionless properties over uh, after a very short period of time. But you can still do interesting shit with it. They had a few different suggestions as to kind of how to treat some of the some of the weirder dimensions, including the idea of doing things quite figuratively. Hmm. Okay. So that rather than a particular place is accessible in a zone from roughly Chicago to Kentucky, it's kind of a this place is accessible from industrial areas. Okay. And so I just I sort of had the notion of, you know, you've got you're, you're these people with their keys, they're off doing a, a delivery, but it's not not so much a case of, okay, the paths diverge in the woods, right, you do your key, then I'll do mine. It's kind of a, okay, so what have we got? All right, mm. so we need a patch of scrub or some sort of forest. Okay, now we need somewhere more industrial. Oh, look, that's got some sort of abandoned um, sort of abandoned oil pumping equipment. That, yeah. that kind of thing thing mm. so they're not you're not looking for um like a specific distance and then the roads branch or something like that well maybe, maybe the key or the 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 if the place you're going to may require that sort of thing depending depending but yeah so it's but it's not a set sort of condition yeah, it's got to be the right the sort world. of branch yeah yeah mm. so rather than yeah rather than having the same thing that you're looking for they're not always looking for a phone a phone booth or something that they're looking for something each maybe each key maybe each character has a different sort of trigger for things to get to and the the idea of having like a resource um like for alternate dimensions or maybe just the aspects of those sort of things that would be a good place to mine mm. what's going on there i quite i quite enchanted by the idea of that recursive kind of stepping stepping away from normality and then stepping back because the idea that fundamentally the place that you're coming back to on the on the return tack is the same place and fundamentally some of the things you may have done may still be in effect in that location so if you get into a shootout in a police chase in this reality you drop you 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 get out you drop down two levels but you're still wanted on on the return leg and that of that part mm. And maybe you can come up with a way around that. And hmm. maybe you can't. It's just something you've got to deal with. <laughs> yeah, you can sort of imagine the circumstance of, okay, so we need to go this way. And now we've got basically the... Yeah, we, we've got basically the plane of bees or that place where we're wanted for bank robbery. Bees hmm. or bank robbery? Bank robbery or bees? <laughs> hmm... Yeah, and I think you could probably build in some sort of sort of tricks that uh, that the, as they as they become more skilled at dimension hopping could be interesting. And the idea that this is like a this is like a job also could be a little bit intriguing. Mm. It's also also the question of what happens what happens the day that the delivery isn't for your dimension. Hmm. But these various places, or well, if you leave it up in the air as to where whether these various places actually have their own existence outside of the the characters moving through but what happens when one day somebody says somebody when you're passing through says hey deliver this for me will you yeah and especially if it's tempting that oh okay well we know when we go we we, when we when we need to enter and leave this thing we'll, we'll probably be in that place oh yeah that's we can do that the other the other, the the other sort of like thing that you you want to do sort of as a real um, cliffhanger kind of thing is to have you you step into a, a the dimension and there are uh, you step into a dimension on your path and there are air raid si- sirens and people running to shelters and so forth. It's like okay, mm-hmm. and when you attempt to come back, the door doesn't open. <laughs> it's like uh, what happened? <laughs> and there is you're trying to figure out a way to. Um, to get around something like that, especially if it's or, or or you know, or you can't get back to your home dimension. Hmm. Can you work your way around the problem, or <laughs> or is it sort of like there's some sort of electromagnetic disruption, and you need to <laughs> sort of like, oh, it's cool. We just need to go outside of the blast radius. 
it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> it'll be right. Yeah, depending on how complicated you want to make the cosmology, if you're... I mean, on the one hand, I'm kind of imagining, yeah, you've got a stack of layers sort of going up and down from to level zero, as it were. Mm. Uh, if you wanted to massively overcomplicate things, I am imagining that you've got a five-person party. Mm-hmm. That's five keys, each of which can make a left or right decision. So it could be that that's a stack of five potential word worlds above and five below, or it could be that what you've got is this utterly horrifying, nightmarish uh, figure of five potential worlds that you could get to from that one, and then mm. four potential worlds from each of that, and then three, and then two, and then one. Yep. Except it's in both directions. Yep. Uh, and that gets big really fast. Yeah, yeah, so it could be... Which I guess mm. gets us right back to that whole map navigation thing, because at that point, you're going to want them to keep track of that shit. Yeah, maybe, maybe that is. Yes, uh, was it, you cannot well was it run a meaningful campaign without accurately tracking the number of alternate realities you've caused to collapse on the way. Mm. Mm, very sound, sound word, words to live by. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we kicked that one around quite a bit. Indeed, it's a, it's that's a troublesome notion, but I'm sure people might have some ideas about how to facilitate that level of weirdness, or indeed if it would be any fun at all. I mean, I am liking the um, cross-dimensional delivery service thing. Hmm. It kind of shades of the gunslinger before it got really weird. Hmm. The Dark Tower. That'd be the bunny, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shades of that before it got increasingly strange. (laughs) Yes, but it it would be an interesting... It's an interesting courier tale. It possibly just recapitulates some sort of ghastly networking protocol that I've forgotten I once knew. That's possible, too. Yeah. Only occasionally see people trying to route packets through alternate dimensions. It generally doesn't work. I mean, I think they might have tried it in the early days of ARPANET, but it never really took off. Indeed, indeed. All right. And on that cheery note... That relentlessly dorky explanation, I guess it is time to set people up for next episode Mm. so for for, for those of you who have been paying attention at home and we can't imagine why you would but like statistically there might be someone because there was two two, two horses came in um, at the same time Mm -hmm. our our next episode is already decided much like in scenario design free will is an illusion indeed wow that got weird (laughs) <laughs> I was just playing that back in my head. Where were you even... Anyway, so, episode 134 comes to us from the... or came to us from a few years ago from the fertile brain of Gulo T and reads Tempest Red Eye Flight. But we will need an episode which will be the first one for a brand new year, 2020. Mm. And in the running, we have Malevolent Immediacy. Can I submit the entire documentary of Tickled as a prompt for the box? There's a new entry from Just Dave and the Thursday Gamers of Montreal, Power Drift. And an image submission, which I'll try to figure out a way of getting into the uh, the post somehow, from uh, John Rear, which is kind of loosely called Things Are Going Down in Disney Town." Indeed. A splendid array. Vote early and often, as we we like to say around here. Mm. We will have our prompt for episode 135 selected. Any other points of order, or we got to shuffle off into some alternate dimension where birds are made of cheese or something? Mm. Cheesy, cheesy birds. Cheesy, cheesy birds. It's the only difference, and no one one quite knows why. I could live with that. It's like, (laughs) birds are made of cheese. It would... It, it would make me feel actually pretty relaxed about trying to stamp on pigeons. Because <laughs> <laughs> different species of birds will be different types of cheese, and humans would never have gotten around to making cheese or would just be very upset that sometimes their milk turns into birds. I mean, that's an entertaining dimension in and of itself. I am uh, the, the, the town I live in has pigeons, obviously, because everywhere has pigeons, uh, but also has ducks, mm-hmm. geese... Of the horrible variety, 
and yep. uh, swans, which are enormous. Like, geese are pretty big. Mm. And then there's swans, which are just huge things that apparently fly. Yeah, it's kind of disturbing. Yeah. I, I've, I've only occasionally seen footage of moose, which gives you their proper scale, but they're just incomprehensibly big. I don't know what, what seeing one in real life would be like. <laughs> As I understand yeah. it, if, you, if you're in a town that moose move through, you just get out the way and let them do it. Yeah, they seem to be relatively chill as gigantic land animals go, but yeah. <laughs> I suppose when you are a very large land animal, hmm. there are a few things that you have to worry about, but if none of them are around, you're basically okay. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're a small land animal, practically everything's a threat. Especially the other small land animals. Hmm. Alright. So, it's time to bid adieu from the... Um, Dimension where swans are made of gilda or whatever, <laughs> whatever we're doing. Ah, yes, swan gilda world. <laughs> that is kind of terrifying, indeed. And on that cheery note, uh, thank you for listening, audience. Uh, we hope you'll come back ne- uh, next time. Though I have no idea why you would do so. Have a good evening. Indeed. Take care, everyone, and bye. Bye now. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.